0: Good. <laughs> okay. Four seven two one, left send left one, let's intercept the final <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome to RC Heli Nation version 2.0. I am Nick. This is episode number 228. With me this evening, I have the infamous Mr. Justin Pucci yeah. and the notorious Mr. Jesse Salmonson. How you doing? What's up? Dude, I liked your intro. Like it took me back that a little nice. bit. I, I,
0: I was feeling like Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam.
1: <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'm trying to bring a little bit of flavor. I got uh you know, I got a little skip in my step this week.
2: Ooh. And
1: uh I think all two of you boys know exactly what we're talking about.
2: Yeah, we might all be skipping just a little bit. Just a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Yes. So a little bit of a strut.
1: Who wants to enlighten all of our wonderful listeners? Uh well, first I should say Dan obviously is not with us. Dan got a case of the I don't know, the sheep flu or something, like, it's bad. She- it's kicking his he ass. He is basically. down
0: for the count, man.
1: Montana sheep flu. Yep, the Montana <laughs> sheep flu. It'll get you if the law doesn't. Um, So he's not here with us, and we're just going to roll that. We do wish him, I uh, hope he feels better. So who wants to? Someone, someone's got to be just dying, because I know I am, but I'm going to let one of you guys go first.
0: I am going to jump into this one Do because it, dude. I had an amazing freaking week. Mostly due, as we mentioned last week, to the fact that Jesse and Nick and I got out to the field and yes. not just to any field, yeah. to the same field at yeah. the same time with all three of us. It is true. That yeah, is true. So Sunday. Jesse and Nick rolled down from Bellingham and came to visit me at uh, Snohomish, at my home field. And we got some good flying in pretty much all day. In fact, I think you guys were the first people to get there. Correct. And the last people to leave.
2: Legit. Also correct.
0: So that was what I want to say. That's probably like 1030 to what, 7?
1: I think 6 630 30 yep. Oh, so right. you guys left yeah.
0: pretty soon after I took off then. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I man, I needed that. Now, uh, I'm not by any means saying that I'm entirely satisfied. I need more of that, but that was a good start. Yeah. For for for, you know, like the actual season. It felt like a fun fly.
1: It was. we had it there's a lot of people there. We too. did.
0: We had, you know, the three of us. And then over the course of the day, I think we saw probably another dozen people on and off. Mm-hmm. At one point, there were probably 10, 12 people at one time. So beautiful weather. Uh, so much. So actually, I think I was complaining to you guys. I wore a long sleeve shirt and pants because oh, I'm like, oh, <laughs> dude, you know, like I don't want to get there and end up being cold. And I don't want to bring all the, you know, my jackets and stuff with me, so I just wear long sleeves and a pants and pants. That was a bad choice.
1: Well, you know what's funny, <laughs> and I should note now, being that it's it's Thursday night right now, so obviously, you know, a couple of days for you guys are going to hear this, but uh, because of Dan getting sick, I'm only like two days post doing the edit for last week's show. So it's very fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. Justin complaining about how freaking cold it was. Yeah, because that's the why last I didn't time he went full out there. Day in last yeah, time. Full day, he started at noon. So it's like, dude, make up your mind. So, yeah, what did Justin's- I say
0: to you guys uh, halfway through the day? I was like, okay, you know what? The novelty is worn off. I'm over this summer shit. Yeah, that's let's <laughs> let's get back to some cold
2: weather. These are March rounds. It's too hot. Like, Ready for winter? You. <laughs> get out of here! <laughs> no, it was no, amazing. I mean, that's just awesome.
0: I I'm I am I am in hot weather, like Nick is in cold weather. I much above 75 or 80. It just starts to get miserable. I don't know why. I mean, I can deal with it, and I will, just like I do with cold weather. ain't going to take any fun out of the day, but it's something for me to whine about, and I, you know, everyone needs something to whine about. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, anyway, uh, absolutely awesome day. I brought out, let's see, I brought out the the NX-7, brought out uh, the R5 and the Goblin Speed. As well, last episode I had mentioned that with the TDR one going in, I needed a three digi platform, and that is the Goblin Speed. So the seven seventy got stripped, and I built up the Goblin Speed later that that week. Uh, Got it all set up and ready to go out on Sunday. Uh, Actually went together really nice, and as I started working on it, because you know my the three eighty is not really like other goblins and my seven seventy never, never comes apart it's yeah. always you know i mean I, I i have only rebuilt it a couple of times so i'm rebuilding the goblin speed and thinking damn you know what this is uh this is actually um it goes together clean it's a great design great setup i was just i was feeling it okay so uh we we uh you know sunday rolls around i start getting some flights in on that And I had stuck with the Bavarian Demon because I wanted to get that baseline, make sure I know how locked in I can get it to fly before I then go switch to the three digi and do a comparison. And man, I'll tell you what, like within two flights, I mean, even the first flight, I was just ear to ear grin and I was just kind of putt putting around. But by flight two, oh, locked in, hands off. Freaking solid. I love that helicopter.
1: It's funny because I haven't seen you. I mean, I'm serious. I haven't seen you grinning and giddy in a while. Well, I haven't seen you fly in a long time, too. But like you could tell you were doing the little happy dance with that heli.
0: Oh, yeah, dude. It it was. I mean, it literally was like a friend reunited. Nice. Um I I I had a blast. So I put I think I put about five flights on that one. Got some, you know, amateur hat, hat cam video and actually felt uh felt a little inspired and figured I'd put together a a quick YouTube video, post up on Facebook and Which stuff like that. Which turned out great, by the way. I uh, thank you very much. I will take that compliment. I got a number of compliments on it. Um it it is probably the best one yet only because That whole thing only took me about an hour to put together for the three and a half or four minutes that it was Mm -hmm. when previously I've spent hours doing it, dude. I mean, you know me, I'm a freaking perfectionist. And when it doesn't work exactly the way I want, it's got to be fixed. This one just kind of fell together. Rate, I mean, right along with everything, the song, which I have gotten shit for. I now have to join, join the Nick ranks because I used a chick, Mm -hmm. chick song for my backing music, Taylor Swift, but it it, was not Britney Spears. It worked Uh, though. Didn't it? It did. It did work. It absolutely worked. And I even caught a people, a couple of people said to me, damn it, dude, I'm pissed that it worked. And I'm also pissed because now I've got it stuck in my head. (laughs) So, yeah, that that was a lot of fun. Um, The Nitro got two flights in on the Nitro uh, now on its third glow plug in a gallon and a half. So that engine seems to be living up to its name as a glow plug destroyer. Uh, In fact, I just ordered more glow plugs this week because I used my last one on Sunday
2: I don't so, know. when those are, when those are, and you're saying it's eating the glow plugs, are those, when you're pulling them out, are the, is the little internal coil gone? Is it white? Is it just kind of deformed? What is it? It, I, you
0: know, Jesse, it doesn't look bad. Like hmm. you'd look at it and you'd think, oh, this should work perfectly fine. And sure enough, I pulled that one out Sunday morning. And stuck it on the, uh, like, the little handheld old-school glow plug igniter. Nothing. Didn't glow. Didn't smoke. Cold to the touch. So I do not know what's going on there. I'm going to look around on the forums and see if I'm missing something. I mean, I'm not, I'm certainly not running it lean. I mean, you guys heard. It was rich as hell. So I can't be literally burning it out, but I don't know. Hmm. Uh, Have you guys ever had an engine that eats glow plugs only when it was bad when the engine was in what
1: sense only when the ring's gone and it was chucking pieces.
2: Yeah, I had a problem Hmm. once with the with the engine I have right now in the N7, the YS 91 SR3DS, and that was when I was having those regulator issues or something and it kept, um, it kept locking up, hydro-locking up, and that would okay. that would go through the glow plugs. But you're not having that issue, so no, yeah, no, I haven't
0: had like any that. hydro-lock issues. Haven't had anything that would suggest, uh, you know, fuel flow issues with the regulator. So I, I'm not sure. I'm gonna keep monitoring it. I've got like six or eight of them coming in the mail, probably tomorrow yes. or the next day. So I'll be stocked up. But that that wasn't the most exciting bit about the Nitro on Sunday. You know, second flight, I was out there having fun. And about five or so minutes into the flight, I start noticing random twitches. And the first thing that goes through my mind is, oh, shit. I've heard <laughs> people complain about the NX-7 having a a shake or a wobble. Now, I happen to believe that I entirely mitigated that risk by doing what you should do which is balance the freaking clutch stack and so mine doesn't have any wobbles but it started wobbling so i I couldn't explain it anyway uh bring it down into a hover to kind of observe it a little bit more few you know tens of feet in front of me and and now i'm noticing this is a pretty hardcore twitch and it's an elevator twitch so sits there in a hover and then out of nowhere it would kind of like buck kind of like a bucking Bronco it would kick its head up or kick the tail up. So bring it down. Not going to deal with that crap. I could smell catastrophe in the air. So uh, brought it back to the bench and Nick's like, well, can you recreate it on the bench? I'm like, I'll give it a try. See what's going on here. Sure enough, elevator servo dancing around like a freaking maniac. Seemingly randomly, like Jesse, you and I were sitting there. Oh yeah, <laughs> you put your hand on it, and one second it's on; you can hear it talking back to you. It's loaded, and you can, you know, it it's resisting movement. And then the next second, just dead limp, and you can move the servo arm. Okay, I figured eh, there. I bought the servos used uh, a, a while back. They're probably probably got some you know, a couple thousand flights on them or something like that, I'd lost a servo, no big deal. Put it aside, went home, and uh, ordered a new servo immediately because it's Thursday today, and I got Friday off tomorrow for the first time in a really long time, and it's going to be like 80 degrees out. So I'm going flying, and I needed to have that nitro up and running. So I'm, I'm on the phone with Nick last night wrenching on the nitro And, you know, pulled the servo out. Just got it ready for when the new servo comes in. And I'm looking things over and I find a nick in the signal wire. And that nick matches up with a portion of the carbon fiber side frame that apparently I did not sand well enough. And sure enough, further recreating the failure I opened up the nick on the wire and turned everything on and rubbed it up against the carbon fiber frame and some engine bolts, and it did the exact same thing.
3: <laughs> so hmm, the good oops. news is
0: yeah, easy fix. The bad news is I've got a brand new servo that I have nothing <laughs> nothing
2: to do with. I don't think that with, can be
1: bad news. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I'd take that as bad news, dude no no i mean so you've Spares. got to spare for it. big deal
2: yeah that's I'm su- true i'm surprised it you don't have that many flights on it did not take long to work its way through
0: i uh, i must have just overlooked so i went back through and checked all the edges and all the other like where the wires are running on other portions and you know use some heat shrink and some other stuff to make sure i wouldn't run into that again but nice. that could have been a lot freaking worse. dude. Oh, I actually,
2: yeah. I actually saw it when you were bringing it in that last flight. And, you, you know, like, I know, I think I know, Nick, you do this sometimes where you're when you're sitting the heli on the ground and you're kind of just twitching the sticks, like making it jitter oh, yeah. on the ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what it looked like he was doing in the air. And I'm like, man, he must just be, you know, doing like cyclic stops or I'm not sure what he's doing, but that's exactly what it looked like. So I didn't yep. think too much of it and then end of the flight you land carry it back and you're like did you guys see that and i'm like oh you weren't doing that on purpose <laughs> no dude so, that was the elevator servo being like yeah. i'm out nah, i'm back
0: so that was pretty lucky though yeah that could have been a lot worse especially if it if it would have gone in at the last minute as i was landing it yep oh
1: well, let's see yeah but you know what there's also something to be said about like definitively finding something you know 110% what the cause of the problem is. Dude,
0: that feels amazing. Like,
1: I wouldn't even care. I almost wouldn't even care what the actual problem was just as long as I could, you know,
0: like, woohoo, I found it. Root cause has been Uh, identified. Yeah. And that's why I'm not complaining at all about the spare servo. I will proudly sit it on my on my shelf of other spare parts (laughs) since the uh, the original one is perfectly fine. Yeah, I I think, you know, those those were the the major highlights for me out at the field. You know, obviously hanging out with you guys was freaking awesome. Uh, You guys got a ton of flights in. I think in total I got maybe eight or so. But I was perfectly fine just kind of hanging out and relaxing, shooting the bull, yeah. listening to music, taking some video, talking with some of the other guys. Uh, let's see. we uh, What else did we do? Uh, oh, I, I forgot. So I'll just I'll do a hint here and then you can talk about it in detail, Nick. My 770 is now a 700. Yep. Ooh, that is all.
2: <laughs> Justin, is is that a normal amount of people out there for a weekend?
0: Yeah, for good weekends we typically have anywhere between six and twelve people.
2: Okay. So yeah. that is pretty normal. It's
0: pretty typical.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. It is. You'd...
0: Yeah. So that's that's uh pretty much what I've been up to in terms of big stuff. No simming. Uh Buying just the glow plugs, the servo, uh, I did decide to take the plunge and try the Lynx, mother of all suckers, one more time. My last experience with it was not positive. I don't think yours was either, Nick. However, it's between that and a header tank, and I'm not particularly fond of header tanks, not because I think it's a big deal or it adds a lot of weight don't really like the way they look hanging off the side of the heli it's just a personal thing so we're going to see the mother of all suckers works and if it does not then i'll go to a header tank and it's no big deal because right now all i've got is
1: i think it's fair to say that we all love a good deal but why is it that whenever i need to order parts i can't find a coupon code or a sale on what i actually need Well, that's why I shop at Lower Heli. They simply have the lowest prices all the time. From my personal favorites like SAB, Hobbywing, and now V-Control, to Align, Pulse, tons of other brands, and even a great selection of FPV equipment. So stop wasting your time chasing discount codes and weekend sales. Head on over to Lower Heli to get what you need,
3: when you need it. That's www.lowerhelly.com for the lowest everyday prices.
1: Jesse, how was it from your angle?
2: Oh man, what a a blast. A much needed blast is what I can say. So like Justin mentioned, I actually got over to Nick's house, I think about nine o'clock. So made the trek down south to Snohomish. We got there, yeah, about... Ten thirty, got the field unlocked and rolled in, and man, right when we got out there, you know, we had the whole field to ourselves. We get the trailer all set up, um, sides propped up, get the generators out, run the extension cords, and I gotta say, within like the first forty five minutes, we probably each knocked out five flights. Just, Dude, we were freaking um, cranking them, baby! It was just one of those, you know i got a, I got a set of packs charged. While you're out there flying, I'm plugged in literally as you're walking back to set your heli on the bench. I'm plugging mine in, walking out there to do the next flight. Yeah,
1: half the time we were even out there like standing next to each other
2: waiting. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Just like plugged in and ready to go.
2: Yep. So, you know, banged out a lot of flights really quick. And then, you know, more people started showing up as the morning went on and weather got a little bit nicer as we uh, neared the middle of the day. I don't know exactly what the temperature was. But I Dude, bet it was it low mid sixties in the mid seventies,
0: mm. don't you think? I
2: tough. was going to say mid sixties. Yeah, really? That's tough. Yeah, I don't think it got that warm. I don't think it hit seventy. Maybe Man, it came it, close. It
0: felt like it. I was hotter than
2: shit. Well, I, I was still pretty hot because uh, the uh, the day prior, two days prior. I spent the entire afternoon on a lawnmower working on my yard and I got pretty sunburnt. Ooh. <laughs> Being uh, you know, fair skin and redhead, yeah, doesn't <laughs> sun doesn't really mix well, you know, so <laughs> so I hung out on Sunday with a sweatshirt on, going sunlight bad, stay off, skin. So <laughs> But I dealt with it, you know, shorts and sweatshirt, whatever. So the weather was awesome and I had got in tons and tons of good Quality, um solid flights. You know, it was one of those days where I just absolutely love and kind of reflect back and go, oh, man, I'm really glad that I have the setup that I do. You know, the V bar and the V control and the Protos and the N7. Just everything is flying really, really well right now. And just going flight after flight after flight. Just unplug, charge. But once it's you know, plug it back in, go fly. R- rinse, repeat. Yeah, rinse, Literally repeat, baby. Not rinse, doing repeat. Any, not doing any tuning. Not doing any wrenching, maintenance. In fact, at one point in the day, Nick was like, do you want something to work on? <laughs> I'm like, no, all my stuff's flying great. Yeah, well,
1: and I I kind of, I had plenty. So I'm like, come on, oh, yeah. come on.
2: Because I'm just kind of sitting there, you know, taking it all in, watching people fly and whatnot. And it, it was just awesome to not really have to worry about tuning, setup, wrenching, maintenance. You know, I've literally, everything was, was going Great, which is nice being so close to, you know, Othello coming up and getting ready to hope, you know, get some more flying in on the weekends. It's nice that all my stuff's kind of already dialed. Yeah. Dude, you, you Not, had
0: that Protos running
2: smooth. Yeah, it is a, it's a great flying, uh, heli. And even at, so kind of right now where I've settled in is my idle up one, which I'm using kind of as my, Warm-up, training, um, you know, about 60% of my flights will be at that idle-up one, and it's about 1960 on the head. Um, and with the 710s or the 713s on there, it actually flies pretty well. I haven't gone back and tuned out, you know, 100% of the bobbles and 100% just because I'm still kind of leaning towards and prefer that 2040, 2030 head speed where Things really get locked in much easier to tune, uh much more responsive on the pitch and the you know stopping don't need as much pitch boost and that type of stuff um but no it it really does fly great at both of those head speeds um so a couple of highlights throughout the day was I did have the opportunity to get in quite a few flights, I think two or three on the Goblin 570 of Nick's. Mm-hmm. And this was a really cool opportunity because, you know, every so often it's great to just kind of check in, fly someone else's heli. <laughs> I think Nick and I kind of have like this ongoing comparison, like, oh, how do you have yours set up now? How do you have yours tuned now? Yeah, and it's usually <laughs> was, like, it's usually fairly close,
1: and we have things that like we know going into it that are yeah. going to be different.
2: So like the first thing I'll bring up is I just know that, you know, Nick's... Uh, Throttle stick is going to be so loose that you could blow on it and it moves. Well, no, (laughs) just give, just give a little.
0: (sighs) That was (sighs) one of the greatest conversations I've ever taken part in. (laughs) Okay, now
1: just hold on here. You have to paint. You have to be fair because he goes to fly mine. He's like seriously, and so he's standing out there. (laughs) With the heli on the ground, shaking my radio up and down. Like, see, it's moving. See, it's moving. The
2: tip it upside the, the down. The helicopter's, it moves like, getting light on the skids and shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm shaking it. No, no, no. Spool down, throttle. And hold. then
1: I go to move his, and it's like I almost had to brace myself to try and push it up and down. It was horrendous. Yeah. I'm like, I'm... I'm a minute into a flight and I'm cramping up over here. Stretching the thumb. Yeah. Yours
0: was really
2: tight, Jesse. It it was. It was. So we did make a little compromise, I think. So after that, after flying the 570, then actually Nick flew the Protos. uh, We both went back to the trailer and was like, okay, we got to meet somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Both our shit sucks. (laughs) (laughs) One's way too loose and one's way too tight. So I loosened mine up a bit. And it still feels very comfortable and, yeah. and great. And then Nick tightened his up a bit. Oh, yeah. Back to what I would consider. I think it's still a touch looser than mine. But, but it's really close. It's very comfortable now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I got a chance to fly the 570. Um. Wh- man, which was so off really... a bit. Which was what? It was off a bit.
1: It, it was my, I it call was. it my
2: spring tune. <laughs> it was. So
1: it had my, my, because I reset everything. Like, when I, you know, when I switched over, and I don't know why I do this. Kind of at the beginning of the year, I reset everything. And as we all know, no one comes into spring just, like, wailing on it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it had been tuned for uh, obviously not sport flight, but not anything super aggressive. I'd been working on all this flowy stuff, and I had just gotten very used to it being... Uh, a tad mushy, a tad unresponsive, yep. and um, smooth. I mean, oh, dude, smooth oh, yeah. as butter. But Jesse, you know, he's like, man, I am really throwing the sticks. You know, the response isn't there.
2: And you can just see it like when I'm flying or when, I mean, it's just, it's not there. It's not, I'm not stringing moves together. I'm not throwing it around. It's kind of. Yeah. It's more of a laid back kind of hey, watch you know, yeah, watch yeah. this and floating through the moves and, and nothing really aggressive. that's kind of how I fly normally.
1: I mean, that's definitely it, more my style.
2: Yep, but it this wasn't was a there. little extreme. It was, yep. Um, you know, and I think by the end of the day, you had even started you know making some adjustments to the throws and you know just so some of, some of that feedback you you'd, you'd worked back into. Well, the it was training.
1: funny because I flew the Protos. And you, you know, you were really like, wow, yeah, this is way not right. Like this is uh uh way too unresponsive for me. So when I flew your protos, it didn't feel that bad to me. I'm going like, oh, well, yeah, this is a little, you know, little more than I would, but I feel very comfortable flying it. And then it kind of clicked. And I went, uh, well, (laughs) if you're pretty comfortable flying this but he's not comfortable flying yours. I think that you're <laughs> the one that needs to move there, Nick. Yeah. So I, I did, I raised it back up and then you flew it again.
2: It world of difference, night and day difference. Yeah. yeah. And, and you could see it with the flying too. It's like, okay, this is comfortable.
1: Oh, that's right. You flew it all the way out that time. Like the yep. whole pack and you were, yeah, that's right.
2: Yep. And so very, very comfortable after those, those changes. Uh, then I did get the opportunity to fly another one of your helis, but uh, I'll, I'll once again, like Justin, uh, wait on that one. Oh, yeah. And and let you go into the, the details on that. But then an interesting comparison after <laughs> you talk about that one. Yeah,
1: we'll we'll touch back on that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah,
2: definitely. So another one of the highlights of the day for me was all the training flights. Oh, um, ah, yes. This, this was huge because... You know, I went out there and I did a couple flights right away in the morning, warming up. And then I'm like, I, th- I think at one point I turned to you and I said, all right, I don't care what it takes today. I mean, if I have to bring this heli home in a box, I, that's perfectly fine with me. I want to get better and I want to stretch my mind. Yep. <laughs> Basically get out of this box that I feel like I've been stuck in. It, I, I know everything's still there deep down somewhere in my brain. And I needed to just dig a little bit deeper and be pushed just a little bit to where um, you kind of break through and break out of it. So on numerous flights throughout the day, I'd be like, all right, Nick, come up here, come up, stand up here and call for me. So, you know, started kind of easy, progressively working through all the different circuits, all the different uh, Mobius orientations, but building up, you know, third or fourth flight you year out there to some real brain scramblers <laughs> <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> where you're just trying to, <laughs> describe, like I, I'm not even trying to do the maneuver. He's just trying to describe the maneuver, and it just like locks my brain up from hovering. I'm just, like, <laughs> like, I'm just trying to think about what I'm going to do if I was to try to do the move.
1: You know, it's funny because none of them, they're all simple maneuvers. But for some odd reason, I came up with a way that they're... I came up with a way to put them it, at a time when it totally throws you off. And yeah. the, like the first ones that we were doing are regular mobiuses. Now mobiuses i personally believe are some of the most amazing practice possible for your orientations. Doing mm-hmm. those figure eights and because then, they
0: move through all of the orientations yeah, and so very what you do, rapidly.
1: Yeah, so what you do once you, you know, you get your mobius down, okay, so i can do my My forward Mobius, and you have to make sure to do that half roll in the middle. Not just figure eights, but the Mobius Mm -hmm. portion of it. Um, Then make sure you can do it in the opposite rotation. That's the key there. And you do all that forward and then inverted, and there's a whole bunch of them. I think it's like eight different deals. But then I was having him go around, and at every center section of the eight, I was having you throw a 180 Piro in there. Yeah. So it's like your fingers were all prepped for that next portion of the eight, and then you do a 180 Piro, and it's like,
2: ah. Well, it it turns out, you know, you start maybe side in, heading to the right to kind of start into your figure eight. So you're doing a a forward flying Mobius, Mm -hmm. and then halfway through, it turns into a Backwards Mobius, and then your elevator, your aileron transition completely switches, and yeah, it just—it was awesome. Completely messes with your <laughs> He's head like, big time, dude.
1: Like, I want to see you do these. And I'm like, I don't even know if I can do them. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I don't know if I can do
2: them, but they're really good practice, right? Huh? <laughs> so, and honestly, there really is something to, you know, part of the time when I'm up there flying you want to push yourself to do new maneuvers and you want to progress and you want to get better, but you kind of just fall back into that you know, same old, same old routine. And you kind of overthink things like, Oh, you know, do I want to try this? Do I want to try that? And pretty soon your timer's going off where when you were up there, you were just calling out random stuff at times. And it's like, don't think about it. You know how to do this. You know how to bail out, you know, get yourself some height and you know how to bail out and save the helicopter. And nearly every orientation so just kind of go for it just let your fingers react and don't overthink it and so just kind of going off that instinct reaction when you were calling out moves i really think it it did help a lot and it definitely i i did see progression and kind of you know like i said breaking down those barriers and walls by the end of the day so
1: it was fun i mean it, it was really really fun and the last one oh man we found the ultimate oh. mind scramble. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If anyone, well, I don't even know if you can explain it.
2: Um, It's it's traveling it's, tumbles. Tumbles. Yeah. But every time you hit, you know, every time you go with the elevator and you make the disc basically perpendicular to the ground or, you know, the nose pointing straight up in the air, the tail pointing straight up in the air, you do a 180 degree Piro and keep the, the tumble traveling in the same direction yeah very tough it's yeah it's definitely scrambles your brain gets you the simple
0: stuff that gets you
2: but that's what's awesome that's what's awesome it it breaks you because it breaks you down and it's
0: like you at the end you're kind of like oh dude i need so
2: much work well it's yeah and it stretches you to actually think and you know, while you're flying, it's not just, oh, all muscle memory, same That's old routine. It. You're same watching
1: old this. the helicopter. For you
2: actually have to fly the helicopter, look at it, see what orientation it's in and basically save it.
1: Yeah. Every time. Yep. I mean, it's a traveling <laughs> yeah. save every time.
2: So It's just that quick on, you know, just that quick reaction, quick thinking. Um, so, yeah, trying to work that back and really just. Keep building off that in the next couple of weeks as we head into uh you know the real meat of the flying season here, and yeah, just keep progressing and ride that wave. So it's that cool. was and there's no crash blast. when you just do it up high. No, it's yeah, exactly. We're up you know, 50, 60 feet, and so enough to where you can still see the heli really easily, but plenty of time to save it as long as you're not. You know, Fully into the collective or decide to hold a pirou all the way to the ground. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. So that was another one of the highlights. And then that brings me to the last flight of the day on the Protos, which you guys were there for. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. You heard. One of
1: the quickest flights I've seen.
2: Oh, very quick. And it, it started off with so, you know, started off so good because as I'm walking up to the flight line, you know, near the end of the day, you're you're kind of in the groove, right? It's I've done i don't even know exactly how many flights I got in but i'm i think somewhere probably around fifteen sixteen something uh, like that flights for the day so a really decent day and you're and I'm feeling it so I walk out there and it's like all right it's time to you know idle up two right off the bat <laughs> and so go and go into bank two on the v v control twenty forty on the head let it spool up uh right as it's spooling up you know take the helicopter off let the head speed come up and Right away, go nearly full right aileron. I'm side in, so go nearly full right aileron away from myself and a bunch of collective. And halfway around the roll, the heli just completely shuts off. <laughs> yep. And so I go and I grab for throttle hold because even though it's already shut off, who knows what's going on with the motor, speed controller, overcurrent. You know, you just don't know. So I throttle hold is definitely the instinct when almost any odd noise, mechanical, weird stuff happens. So grab for throttle hold, get it flipped over, but as you can imagine, a lot of cyclic, a lot of collective, equals not a lot of head speed when the motor's not on. You (laughs) went and it was like, it was like, uh, yeah. (laughs) It was like showtime to no time. Yep, Yeah. So the thing I did, you know, get it flipped all the way back over and it Bounced on the skids pretty good, which I might add are extremely, extremely flexible. In my opinion, probably just a touch <laughs> too flexible. But hey, you know, one of the highlights. I think the first thing I yelled back at you guys was at it least was. I didn't
0: break the skids. Yeah. He's over there like fifty or sixty feet away, leaned over. Oh, I didn't break the skids.
1: Yeah, Jesse's not worried about a boom strike. He, the, there's those things are so flexible, you might have a freaking skid strike.
2: Yeah, they might bend off to the side. Crap. Caught the
0: skid. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: what happened? Rough auto caught a skid. Rough yeah, auto
2: caught a skid. Caught a skid. All in the grass? No, on the blade. Yeah, chopped <laughs> that sucker right off. <laughs> the only thing I lost was a skid. Yeah. <laughs> so it actually wasn't too bad as far as the damage goes. All, you know, plastic parts, a couple links in the head, um, and a couple of the rods. Um, on the you know coming off the swash plate down to the servos bent those but all in all didn't get the blades didn't get the skids uh, didn't get boom you know nothing so quickly you know go out there straighten out the blades pull the canopy off and the ESC has a red it's showing solid red and blue lights so kind of going ah crap because at this point I'm it, it could have been a number of things I'm going did I overcurrent did the speed controller shut down did i accidentally bump throttle hold because doing an aggressive maneuver on takeoff who it wouldn't be unheard of to catch oh, throttle no, hold and do down? that single click and basically shoot yourself in the foot right yeah yeah you bet man <laughs> so i mean nothing is off the table at that point so after going back bringing it back to the bench and doing a little bit of talking i'm still investigating i think at this point I've kind of determined, luckily I was able to pull the V bar log in the V control right there at the field, which was really cool to have access to without plugging into my computer and whatnot. I could kind of see the sequence of events where it goes, okay, into bank two, motor off, throttle hold off, motor begins to spool up. And then about 17 seconds later, you see throttle hold and then motor off. So kind of piecing it back together, I'm guessing that it was a speed controller shutdown. Um, and then shortly thereafter, you see the throttle hold and the motor off. So I'm still kind of digging through. The first thing, I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, I really can't solder. This is it. <laughs> this is the end. Like, it's over. I'm going to have to have, like, Nick resolder myself. Yeah. my
1: stuff. Yeah, sublet out all of his soldering. <laughs>
2: but, yeah, <laughs> soldering job for hire on Craigslist. Yeah. See the... Pays in, oh, you know, pay you in beer. <laughs> no, so still doing some investigating. I think I may know sort of what's going on, Um, you know, with Hobbywing, and there's something w- weird going on with, it has to do with the spool up time. So the the setting for the soft start and how many seconds it takes to spool up. Yep. And if you, you know, put a high current load on the speed controller before the the ESC gets the kind of AOK that the motor is fully stabilized on head speed. So I'm going to go back and do a little bit of testing before I present this theory. I kind of want to go through it a little bit more thoroughly, but there might be something going on there that I'm definitely definitely looking into further. Um but I'm really hoping that I can get it, you know, nailed down. I definitely don't want to recreate the issue. So
1: what you're <laughs> but... saying is that you might have like you might have Highly loaded it before yep. the gov was one hundred percent hand
2: shook and Ex- and engaged exactly and because it choked. Yeah, and it choked. because yeah. my my spool up time is set to fifteen seconds so from the was f- was it's now <laughs> going to be set to ten yeah. <laughs> but so from the time that I turned throttle hold off to when the motor is supposed to be fully spooled up and reached my flying head speed it's supposed to be fifteen seconds. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the sequence of events in the V in the V control, it's 17 seconds when you see the throttle hold. So depending on my reaction time, it's more than reasonable to think that one or two seconds slipped by from when I had actually started that maneuver and taken off to when I hit throttle hold. Yeah. Um, and so to me, it seems very feasible that exactly what you described could have happened is I took off before the head speed had even stabilized. Um, and that could, who, who knows with the hobby, hobby wing ESC, that could cause a hang up or an issue or. Yeah. Cause
1: uh, I do, we were talking about it and man, I do very similar to that maneuver, if not sometimes slightly more aggressive mm-hmm. all the time. I actually did, I want to say three or four of them that day. Yeah. Yep. And I, I mean, it's it's that's a normal takeoff for me sometimes so i was yep. pretty shocked but i have my soft start time to nine seconds in all yep. of mine i ain't got no time for that
2: So yeah and so and then this kind of you know right when this happened and as i'm going through all this looking at the soft start looking at the sequence of events I had this flashback to the previous time this had happened which i had immediately blamed on a Bad solder joint because the next time out at the field was when I had issues with the EC5 connectors. But the more I think about it, I was going, you know what? I did the exact same thing. As soon as it started spooling up, you know, once there's enough head speed and you slowly start to lift the heli off the ground, I went side in and I bet I popped it right before the it stabilized. Yeah. But I never, you know, due to having the EC5 issue, I never looked into it any further and I just kind of accounted it to that. Um, And then the other thing that kind of further leads me down this path is looking at the V-bar log. Now I don't know the refresh rate or the sampling rate on the current sensor for the V-bar, and how quickly it's uh, pulling samples of the data. But the max current that the V-bar current sensor logged was only sixty amps for that flight, mm-hmm. and really? so I have to I have to think that if it really did swing, although if there was like a you know a bad solder joint or something where it really did overcurrent the ESC, which I think is above 300 amps for that speed controller, the 160, that the, the uh, V-bar current sensor would have caught it on the way up or on the way down. Unless it was just so instantaneous that it only picked up 60. Um, I still like the story that you, in in your haste to get off the ground,
0: bumped throttle hold.
2: It's, po- uh, it's possible. Now that I would have had... Have- I would have had to have done it twice I think with my previous experience um you but, never know never you know. never know so I'm um, for now I'm gonna make an adjustment to the soft start time reduce that down to ten seconds and not so anxious to uh prove the theory but <laughs> <laughs> we'll see um uh, we'll see so that that's what I'm going with for now pretty simple fix not a whole lot of parts so get that thing thrown back together and I do have all the parts, so I'll be flying this weekend. So nice, not awesome, a, dude. Not a huge deal, but yeah, that kind of hits. Man, hits all the highlights. What just much needed? Hit the big reset button. Awesome, awesome day. Of the day. Do you wish there was a flybarless system that could make you throw down like a pro? Well, now there is the Spartan Vortex flybarless system is offering some of the most advanced features seen on the market today, making sure that you'll be flying like a pro in no time. So what are you waiting for? Go and get your Vortex Flybarless system today. Results may vary based on pitch, response time, age, head speed, brand of heli, time of the year, crash budget, number of friends cheering you on, size of helicopter, temperature, wind, servos, weight of heli, willingness to take risks.
3: Contact your favorite hobby shop about getting your Spartan Flybarless system today. For more information, check out www dot com.
1: couldn't agree more man that was it it was everything that i needed like you said when we got there we were cranking them i mean just cranking i think we had got like five each in before justin even got there just back to back and i love that it was great My, man, I I don't know. I've got a lot of highlights for the day. I know something that really stuck with me, and I even put a Facebook post up about it. It was so badass to be out there all day. I flew every single helicopter that I own, and everyone performed flawlessly. I don't even know what it was, if there was some sort of magic tuning in the air, but, you know, I got the three-blade back going again, and that one just... It fell into a tune. Dude, that thing was
0: locked. R- I mean, ripping. Absolutely ripping. In fact, a couple of flights, I got a little confused, and with how well you were flying it, I thought it was the two-blade. Yep. No, it Until was Until just... I heard the tail. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was like, dude, what head speed are you running? And I looked out at the radio, and it's like 1,800. Yeah like what the fuck oh oh yeah it's the tail dude don't worry it's the tail yeah we're good
1: (laughs) (laughs) i couldn't help it i was i was missing it man it is so much fun to fly and you know doing and i gotta get i gotta do a video on this i'll do it soon i'm gonna need jesse's help for it because there's gonna be some flying and taping involved Mm and but doing that those the, I'll call them like the pyro flattening tuning flights or whatever you want to call it. It's part of my normal tuning routine now. But for a long time with the three blade, I always just felt like the head was so rigid that I couldn't get it, you know, I couldn't get the head quite soft enough, couldn't get enough flow to it because my pyro flips were always kind of chunky and my pyro circuits were chunky and you could just kind of see it. Well, it wasn't. It was that I didn't have my disc tuned. And so now, you know, having that procedure, it's just, I did it. I actually did it in the backyard uh, the day before we left, just, you know, tweaking it and getting those dead flat. And once I did that, it completely changed the way I tuned the heli because I wasn't, I wasn't seeing all these baubles that I had been seeing before. So everything really kind of fell in and just made a lot more sense. And yeah, I think I was... I flew it most of the day at about eighteen fifty. That's my that's my happy spot with it. Um, get you know head gains down at at forty, just buried at the bottom,
3: <laughs>
1: and it rips. I love it. Like the tail was locked. Everything was just really locked. On. It
0: looked really good.
1: Yeah, it was nice. Yep. Um, you know I got in what I think like four flights on the three eighty. More out of principle because I had packs charged. You know, here, Jesse, you fly this, or here, I'll do it. We need to get some packs burned out at the end of the day or whatever. Um, The five, oh, Justin got to see me fly the 500SS.
0: Yes. Yeah. With, his little speed heli. which Dude, that thing is locked in. Thank you. Yes. I
1: it, really. It's
0: tracking nice.
1: Yeah. It's all down to pilot at this point which, you know, you're flying in a new area, um, just that comfort thing. And I don't have near the the speed experience either. So, you know, I made a couple mistakes on, you know, a couple really clean runs and a couple runs that were definitely not clean. But now it's just going to be down to stick time with it. I really got to get that new motor. There is more there. Yeah.
0: Oh, there's absolutely more there. New packs.
1: And uh and uh I'm gonna put the Xnova Nova forty twenty five six seventy. Yes.
0: Yep. Yeah. That's because what's going on. Right in. now you're running a five fifty. Think about how big of a boost that's a five fifty.
1: And then we were both laughing. And and this is no like this is no uh jab at OptiPower because the packs that are in there, um I've got uh two six s twenty seven hundred thirty c packs, uh which barely, 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 barely fit, by the way. Uh those were in my five seventy all last year. Like all last year. And so they we
0: were c- a little tasty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I come back in and I'm looking at the uh you know the log on the on the V control and I'm like, ooh, dude. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think that a uh, low voltage of 40
0: volts is pretty bad under load. Yeah. He's like, hey, dude, <laughs> on your speed helis, what what do you set your LVC alarm at? I'm like, the equivalent of about 3.5 per cell, because when I come down, that puts me at about 3.8. I will not observe the 20% rule on speed packs. Yeah, yeah. And then and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um. These came down at 40. I'm like, oh, damn.
1: <laughs> but, you know, as we talked about a couple of episodes ago, too, I'm also way out of the range of where that motor is happy as well. So, my current that the, I mean, I'm just overtaxing everything because my motor just doesn't have enough. Boom.
0: Yep. But, that aside, flying wise, it's freaking amazing. Oh yeah, dude, it looks clean. I mean, it is every bit as fast and very likely faster than your best run at RCHN three.
1: Well, and it's consistent. That's yeah. the big thing. I mean, it's it's well runs. now you've got it tuned,
0: so you're not fighting it.
1: No, I'm not fighting it at all. It'll you do should hands just off focus on set
0: it and forget it.
1: Yep, yep, yep. So that was cool. Um. I also want to say this is awesome. The battery review is officially started.
0: Yes.
1: And as in like flying started. With a truckload Mm -hmm. of five thousands. Oh, my gosh. Me and that 570 are going to be seeing some serious (laughs) stick time. So what I've got right now, um, now they're. Uh, yeah, it's still kind of up in the air on if there are more coming in for it or not. At a certain point, I'm going to have to close the door. But I've got um, uh the the Rev Electric's pack didn't it didn't sh- it showed up on the day I was down there, so unfortunately I didn't get that one cycled in. But I've got a Rev Electrics. I have the 42 blend 5,000 milliamp amp graphene pack. Uh, We have an OptiPower 5030C, an OptiPower 5050C, a Pulse 5065C, and the Venom 5050C. They are, what I did is I used Justin's discharger, and I discharged and cycled with the discharger uh, five bench cycles per pack. I'm um, logging the ir uh on the first uh, on the first cycle and then after the fifth and i'm going to keep updating that uh probably about every 20 flights or so as i go uh just so everyone knows when we're talking about irs the way that i do it is uh i'm a little spoiled the trailer does make things pretty easy i have an electronic thermostat on my heater in there so i set my trailer to uh set the thermostat to 72 degrees and I leave it for four hours with the packs in there. That, I believe, is about... That's about as accurate as I'm willing to go. That gets the core temperature of the pack down as close to 72 as possible, you know, within the accuracy of that thermostat. And then um, I start checking my Rs. It is really, really important if you're going to do IR testing to be as accurate with your temperature as possible because what you need to understand is when you get down to these uh, 5,000 milliamp, you know, high C packs, and we're talking, you know, uh, anywhere from, say, 0.8 or 0.9 ohms up to 1.5, 1.6, even the rate at which you're charging them. So, like, on um, on the Rev Electrics charger, you know, I've got the bump controller on there, and I can just basically check my IRs while it's charging. Well, if I throw it on a 3C charge rate and I come over there three quarters of the way through the charge, my IRs are actually going to be higher. And that's because I have raised the core temperature of the pack. I've raised the temperature of the pack. And now it's it's not 72 degrees anymore. And as your temperature starts to go up, then the IRs start to go up. Or I mean, excuse me, start to go down. So you have to be super, super careful about that. So when I do it, I do it on a one C charge rate and I'll take the, I'll take the measurements over the course of a say three to five minute period, but I do it fairly quick within the charge cycle after sitting. So it's not something, you know, if you're at the field or whatever, and you're, you're like, Hey dude, check out my killer packs, bro. And you, you know, have your buddy walk over and look at your charger, Sorry, man, but it's not going to be accurate. It's just not. That, it really doesn't mean shit. I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's really hard to get. You can't get a bad pack down to 0.8 or 0.9, pretty much almost kind of period, no, no matter what. But if, you, if you're going to try consistently checking and tracking, you do need to come up with, a, with, a, with this, as reliable of a method as you can
0: within reason. And that's the key. The key is consistency. Yeah. The You know, the IR value that you get at elevated temps, it's real. And the calculated C rating at that temperature is real. But how are you going to accurately track and compare with other pilots what their packs are after they've charged them for 20 minutes or they've flown them? Yeah. So that's why the room temperature makes sense. Yep. And you know what? Nick, I'm checking right now. Let's see here. I'm I'm gonna put you on the spot. I am looking through uh no. I do not see any Nick Len entries in the 6S tab of the RCHN battery database. No,
1: nope, and not yet. But boy, let me tell you, there's
0: gonna be a whole lot of them here Good pretty man. quick. Dude, we're it's it's growing significantly. We're up to A hundred, almost a hundred entries on six S alone.
1: That, that is just, and see, this is awesome. This is where it's at. It's, I think it's great. And that, you know, what's hard, the hardest thing about it, is that that can't be set in stone because, as we've mentioned historically, now I'm not saying that's what's going on now. I'm just saying historically, patterns in history would say that companies cycle. They all seem to cycle. It's like the stock market. Well, you know, for a while, uh, Brand X is making the best packs and their IRs are just killer and their, you know, their true C ratings are up there. And then they're like, everyone goes to them and then they start to go down. And then, uh, you know, here comes this other brand in here and it's probably made at the same damn factory. It's just a different label. And then, you know, they're the greatest thing because their C numbers are low. And then that Brand X that was, you know, putting out some packs that were mediocre, they kind of go down for a little bit. But then all of a sudden they come It's just this really weird, constant rolling motion. So it's important to keep that database going and up to date and look for the recent entries. Um, gone Absolutely, are the, dude. Gone are the days where you could just say, I fly X packs. And yep. not be and not have to be open to that, they might not be as number one as they were when you started flying them. Now, that's kind of the point of this review, though. It doesn't mean that they're not still good packs or they don't still meet all your needs. And that's why I really wanted to do this. I can throw down all of these IRs and all of these stats on paper, but. I mean, I've had batteries that started off, you know, at like true C ratings of 34 and even getting close to 35 C and you're like, dude, these are the sickest. And 30 flights later, they're starting to taper and they just taper, taper down. And then at 75 flights, they're crap. But I've had others where they only started out at like 28, maybe 27, 28 C, but I got 200 cycles out of them. And they were perfectly fine for all 200 cycles. So that's kind of what I want to get to here. So I'm not getting too caught up in the numbers. I'm more looking at the stability of those numbers over a longer period of time.
0: Yep. And, you know, whether whether you, I mean, obviously with all the data that you've got, it's going to be a huge contribution to the database. But, you know, with the amount of data we've got in there now, Nick, I get... I would say probably a half dozen people a month. And and for the record, the database has been around for a couple of years now, and it's still popular. I'd say 10 people a month ask for access. I get half of those asking, not because they want to contribute, but because they want to see what recent packs have been performing like. Yes. So, I mean, it's you putting that in there is going to be a huge help for this season's packs.
1: Mm hmm. So I'm I'm excited. I mean, it was it's fun to get out and honk on them and know that they're all broken in and you know I've got them dialed in to the V control with the with the UI sensor, so they're not going to get over dis I mean, I almost I just can't. I mean, um, so it's cool. Yeah, that was fun. So that leads into I got lots of flights on the 570, but my big giddy moment of the day was, as Justin alluded. He now has a 700. I now have a 770. So we did a boom swap, which that's what's kind of cool about that whole 700, 770 thing. Uh, Opinion and a boom, and you're good to go. And it was amazing. (laughs) Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I, you know, I did, I put it together right there. I came with all my stuff, about 90% tore apart, um, with the exception that I took off the incorrect boom and tried to give him one with a paint chip on it, which was unacceptable. <laughs> no biggie, mm-hmm. dude. I know, but I couldn't do I really did not. It was an accident. So I did a double boom I gave boom you swap. a
0: boom with the the remnants of a Goblin 770 sticker that had been gone for six months, but the sun had burned it into the yellow paint. Well...
1: As you can tell, I didn't mind one bit because, oh, my goodness, I love that thing. Talk about instant at-home feeling. Like, I just, I don't know what it is, but we got that thing out there. And I remember you guys, because I had been having tail problems uh, Mm -hmm. with that setup, and I I got that (laughs) all dialed in. Um, You know, so I'm like, guys, we could be watching a crash here, right? So we stood back. So but they stood back. Yeah, thanks for the support. But <laughs> yeah. no. And it was like, okay, all right. And I'm like, wow, this thing flies great. And I'm, I, uh, you know, because I'm flying it on the hobby wing, Gov. So I'm flying. and I'm like, hey, someone come over here and see what my head speed is. Justin's like, oh, you're at about 1750. And we all kind of look at each other. We're like, yeah, sounds like it could use a little more. Okay. It, it sounds a bit anemic. <laughs> Turn it up a little bit, flying. I'm like, okay. Where where are we at now? Uh, 1800. Eh, I think it could use a little more. So I think I've, I either ended at 1850 or 1900. I, don't I think r- it was
0: 1850. That that mm-hmm. number rings a bell for me. Nope. And, I think
1: you're at 1850. Yep. And then cranked it up. I don't know what it is about the 380- It's like the super small and the super big ones. I like them way responsive because I can't fly them nice. Like I just can't fly them politely. I love the sound of that thing in the, in the, just, ah, it's like, I want to fly it all angry. So it was really cool. And I'm glad that I did it. it. When you fly that thing hard, man, it's rough on packs. Whew.
0: Like, oh, dude, it's a 12 Those packs came down at easily <laughs> like 130 or 140 <laughs> <laughs> worth it. <laughs> and I mean, you know, for me, it was really weird because I don't know anyone else that has a 770 when I'm at the field or fun flies. I'm always the only person there. So I see it from a skewed perspective. And when I'm flying it, it's like the biggest thing in the world. And then when you're flying it, I'm like, you know what? It sounds and moves like a 770, but when you just glance at it, it's such a small 770 that it looks like a 700. I mean, Jesse and I were commenting while you were putting in one of your flights, and that's kind of a testament to, I think, the uniqueness of the model, Mm -hmm. because they basically took a 700 and added a couple of inches and a couple of ounces and now it can swing up to seven eighty millimeter blades. And that thing gets going, dude. Yes. I mean, I, I would never peek out past about 1750. That was enough to pucker my butt. But I love man, it. at 1850 <laughs> or 1900, woo. And it's just it goes. It does. Yeah.
1: And it tuned great. And you know, one thing that I should add, um, I picked up I came I came mildly. Prepared. So, oh, I did. And Justin, you have been a bad, bad influence on me of the motors of the black and red type. <laughs> so, in preparation for this, I ended up installing in it, knowing that my 4025 520 was going to pretty much be hating life. And, you know, with this recent kind of revelation on learning more about motors and how bad it is to run them out at their ends um uh went with a 453480 Xnova XTS and I got to tell you I'm not a big I don't push my models crazy hard I'm not out there flying them at the limits all the time but I put um a four and a half four and a half i think my timer's at or four minutes one of the two i think it's set at four minutes that last flight i put on a hard four minutes i mean the whole meal deal bigger yeah, everything that i had to throw at it
0: honking full pitch on it. hurricanes yeah full
1: pitch hurricanes the, the whole deal TikTok,
0: tock yep. everything
1: all of it and I brought that back in and that's when we were laughing because the packs, the packs temped out (laughs) at 130 degrees, which is now these packs have a lot of flights on them. So, uh, you know, I'm hurting them and I know that because they're at the end of their life, but my hobby wing 160, I couldn't even tell that I had flown it. That was at ambient ambient temperature. And the motor, I reached up and grabbed and held onto and giggled like a little girl.
0: Yeah, it couldn't have been Mm -hmm. more than 85 or 95 degrees. Yeah, it was impressive.
1: I am, I was shocked at the difference. And you can take, you can take a flight like on the three blade, okay, with 45, 25, 520 in there. And boy, let me tell you. You, you peel the canopy off and you can see, you, you can like see the heat waves coming out of that sucker. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, and I know that the loads are pretty, are actually quite similar. So, uh, you know, I know it's a different class of motor to compare, but that was my first big motor X Nova experience. And I was just, Wow. I mean, very, very, very impressed to the point where I told Justin, like, geez, I don't even care about the power availability thing, which for the record was rad because I couldn't, I mean, it took everything that I had that I could give it, even on 12S. I saw nothing, like never once did I hear it bog or falter or anything. But just from an efficiency standpoint, you know that you're turning in a more efficient power system doing that. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it, man. So, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Walked away from the day; couldn't have been any better. I mean, seriously, I don't, even, I don't know. I think I, I might have got three, maybe four more flights than Jesse did. Yep. But
0: just that was a good day. Then you guys both got like fifteen, twenty flights. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. It was like a fun fly.
1: It was. We got to have more of those. Everything Just, okay, was fine. Let yeah. me
0: know when you start having eye problems.
2: I'm <laughs> yeah. all over that.
1: Yep. It's going to be a good summer, boys. Going nice. to be a good summer. Oh yeah. Well, you know, this would be the portion where we would go to the news. But news. No? No news? No, we're actually going to skip it. The- well, no, I'm going to talk about the news. I have one news item here. Um, we got started like a little bit late uh, this evening, so we'll probably put off some of the air quotes news until next week. But there is one thing that I thought was a pretty big announcement that I would uh, like to get your guys' opinion on. And we, ah, shoot, let's, l- let's do the key, the official music.
0: Have you made the switch yet? Well, if you haven't, then you need to get on the ball. Brought to you by Burt Kammerer of BK Designs, switch rotor blades are the perfect way to complete that perfect heli setup. From 250 to 800 class blades in precision and aggressive 3D versions, and with tail blades and night blades too, switch blades give you a large variety of options to get your heli flying the way you want to. Head over to www.bkdesignsllc.com Give them a try today, and I'm sure you'll make the switch.
3: This week's news is brought to you by Superiority.com. Did you uh,
1: hear about the whole line thing?
0: Uh, hmm. um, what, what specifically? a line thing? I mean, last week we talked about the three-bladed head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this week we're going to
1: talk about that Assurance RC is no longer distributing a line in the United States. Oh. Rumor on the street, and I can't say this for sure. I have not confirmed this. I know that they're not distributing a line. That's a fact. Rumor is on the street that they just closed the doors.
0: Assurance did? Yeah. Mm. Oh, no. This is not good, dude. Well, yeah, not really. I mean, this is just another sign of the hobby shrinking. If it's true, I mean, I'm I'm taking your word for it. I don't have a news story in front of me. So is is this, is it rumor mill? Is it confirmed? No,
1: it's, I I have not confirmed that they're closing the doors, but it is 100% assurance no longer is the main distributor for a line, period. That's a a given, that's a fact. Huh. Hmm. You know, all right. So here's my first, here's my first, my first hunch was like, oh, shit. Not good, right? But then I go back and and let's think back to uh, what eight years ago, okay? Before a line really hit it, like they had the six hundred ESP out, right? And I think yeah, the seven hundred Nitro was it was out then. But really, before that, everything revolved around Thunder Tiger and the Raptors. And, you know, 30, 50, and the 90. There's still videos of Zabo. And Min-air. And,
0: and Minair, right? The Excel, Fury, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. And when a line came along, I mean, it was just like Under Tiger got by the wayside. So that was kind of my second hunch was, is it really a, a sign of the hobby going down? Or just an era of a single company, because I don't know, if we rewind back to about last year something that I kind of called them out on, and I still stick with my guns. a line has in the past made and and still does i believe made great helicopters they've they've actually they've mm-hmm. gotten better and better yep. as the years went on, yep. Align has supported their helicopters they've supported pursuing models, right? They've tried to grow. There was one thing a line did not do that I said would ulti- ultimately be their nail in the coffin. And that was, they didn't support the hobby. They didn't support the people in the hobby. A line is just a helicopter to this hobby. It's not people. It's not a family. It's not
0: yeah, they don't have as personal of a touch. That's right. It's much more corporate. Yep. I mean, I know you got Jamie and a couple of the other guys, but but by and far, the yeah, company the most is very business. Yeah, that's right. Yep. right. It's, it was just money.
1: Crank helicopters out to make money. So how is it that, that a company that big that produces helicopters would go down? Well, now we're in an era of... There's a lot of really good helicopters out there. We just don't have near the problems that we did before. They're all very capable. Yes, we still deal with some QC issues, you know, with some brands more than others. But for the most part, nobody designs really any fatal flaws in their helicopters anymore. You know, that were just like unfixable. So you have people, you know, I I use them as an example all the time. Like Synergy. Synergy's out there releasing new models. Still growing. Still trucking along. Still selling helicopters. But yet the biggest name is going down. Why? Well, because they're involved.
2: They're there. They're people to talk to. You know, look how involved. You actually actually have a face and a name to put with the company. (laughs) And
1: someone to call. Someone to ask questions. You know, you can go to their, to their, and now they've got the whole ranch thing and they're having fun flies and Matt, I mean, they travel all over going to fun flies. Same thing with SAB. scb has got pilots out everywhere. Kyle traveling all over the place doing videos, right? Just the new introduction to the video. When was the last time that someone put out
0: a video from a line? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I I don't go yeah. looking for yeah. him, but I haven't seen any lately.
1: So my point is that I kind of don't. I I I'm not going to jump to the conclusion that them going down is a sign of the hobby going down. I'm kind of taking it for face value of
2: what you think was going to happen. Yeah, it's like bound to catch up with you eventually. Yeah.
1: I mean companies like MSH are coming in with the protos. I mean, dude, I I saw it. That's freaking sweet heli. You know? And and they're selling them and people are happy with them. So yep. it, but there's there's someone to talk to. Alex is doing a great job for supporting the model. You know, at getting out there, answering questions, going to Funfly. So that's just kind of my personal take on it. I mean, I know they're still really big overseas and I know there's still a ton of people out there flying and I don't want, you know, maybe tie it back to the last episode where it's like, Ooh, what do you do with an outdated model? They're not outdated. This is just a switch of distributorship. They're not going away, but it does. It does kind of just, I don't know. I don't look at it so doom and gloom. I look at it as like a single company's mistake. Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I. A single company's mistake versus doom and gloom. You mean doom and gloom referring to the downfall of the hobby. The sky is falling. I, I mean, yes, I think that you're probably right. Um market pressures and changes certainly influence what a business does, right? And not all businesses make good choices under that kind of pressure. And so if that's the case, then sure. But I still do believe, even if this has no correlation to it, that the helicopter hobby sector is, in the very least plateaued if not on a continual downturn and i i personally think it's a sign of it if if all of this pans out as you're saying that's where i'm at
2: yeah i would agree with you but i'm not I, and i you know kind of to fall somewhere in the middle i don't think that's the only reason though like you're saying i still think the business decisions and the oh yeah The past of the, you know, kind of the path that their company decided to take has led them to this point. But, yeah, the helicopter hobby and the plateau and, like you mentioned, maybe even the slight recession has definitely factored into that and maybe exposing some of those decisions um, and making them all that much more critical that, you know, you need to stay on your game to kind of stay near the top in this hobby.
1: I think you you need to stay in the hobby.
2: To stay mm-hmm. in the hobby, <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, you got to stay active. You got to well, keep a pre- you know have a presence in the yeah, hobby. Yeah,
0: and that that may be Nick the most profound statement of all, and it is. I mean, the implication that nowadays, unlike perhaps four or five or eight or ten years ago, uh, the hobby is dominated by people who have a presence beyond just the company manufacturing the parts and kits, right? I mean, I would say the biggest company right now obviously is SAB. And they, I mean, dude, they're pumping out models and upgrades and new stuff like the old Align used to. But their approach seems different because they are... They maintain a connection with the hobby with uh, choosing the right personalities on the team um, that go to the events that reach out that are in the social media. And it's not to say that Align didn't have people at one point that were like that, but it's a different feel. And then, of course, as you go below that size of company to the other ones, like you mentioned, Bodo's, right? I mean, big supporter of the hobby in every way. And it's not just because he makes blades and helis. Mm-hmm. He's a pilot. Yeah. he He's an RC heli pilot first and an, and a helicopter designer and company owner second. And that shows in how he interacts and engages with the community. I think that's, the, that's, that's a big part of it, man. Yep. 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 Sure
2: that's is that's
1: the
0: slogan for
1: the year. You gotta stay in it to stay in it. Yeah. I'm gonna copyright that. I like it. Yeah.
0: So that's my news anyway. Sweet. I'm I'm gonna take the opportunity to shamelessly self promote for a second with my news. And that is that uh, you know, we've been doing myself, Santiago, and Ben have been doing a lot of work behind the scenes on the Model Heli Speed Flying Association. MISFA. MISFA. (laughs) Yeah. And this week, a few days ago, we submitted for public review and comment our draft proposed rules document. And so this covers model classification and competition rules. Um, And uh, once we do get to the point where we have it finalized, Uh, We will be releasing it, well, through our organization at least, on a two-year ruling cycle to stay consistent with the way AMA and FAI and all the other disciplines observe ruling cycles. So that means for two years, the rules don't change. Um, Shortly after, we will form a formal committee uh, that will begin to gather all of the feedback as time goes on and think up what the next steps are based on where the market's going, et cetera, so that we have a draft set of rules two years from now. Uh, But, um, you know, where we were in terms of starting the organization and its proximity to the season, we felt it was probably more prudent to get the rules out there, which frankly haven't changed significantly from the last several years. Uh, um, rather than getting the committee together and engaging, you know, a few people will engage the whole community through this public review process. So, uh, already we've gotten a lot of really positive feedback, Uh, a couple of good suggestions. I think we're going to take a few people up on those and include the course layout as well as the formal safety rules. As we had originally envisioned it, those were going to be separate documents. Uh, but for the pilots themselves, I think it does make sense to have everything sort of in one location so it's clear and concise. So if you are a speed person or interested in speed or looking forward to competing this year, uh, go to our Facebook page or uh, in the Speed Helicopters forum. And take a look and feel free to comment either publicly or shoot me or Ben or Santiago a private message or an email. Nice, man. I think it's Please. great. I love what you're doing. Yeah, dude. I'm. I'm. We're super excited about it. Super excited.
1: I'm ready to take home that 500 class trophy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> RCHN4. That's right. Winner of class yeah. two, <laughs> sport two. Stock Right? Sure. There it is. Whatever you say. And remember, Nick. That one. uh, Consistency may not need to come into play because all you need is one good pass in each direction.
2: Each direction. That's right.
0: In fact, I want to see you show up so confident that you take off, you throw down a left to right, you throw down a right to left, and you land and walk back to your trailer. Ooh.
2: Yeah, you say.
0: It's like I'm that's out. That's all I needed, guys. That's all she wrote.
1: That is- <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Uh, no promises. <laughs> no promises. <laughs> got a little practice.
0: Cool. Well, that's,
1: that's all new. I got.
3: This week's news is brought to you by Superiosity.com for superior quality web and mobile development and design with a 100% money-back guarantee. That's always on schedule and budget. Get the most from your website from www.superiosity.com or www.dudemanlarry.com. Not kidding. Check him out.
1: With the crazy schedules that we run around here, having products that can be both technical and convenient is an absolute must. The RevElectrics Dual Power Lab fits that bill perfectly. With the extensive live data graphing capabilities that the Dual Power Lab offers, I'm never left with a lack of charging and battery information. Not to mention, being able to crank out 40 amps per channel leaves me with charge times that even I can't keep up with. So quit wasting precious time waiting for your packs to be done charging. Pick up a Dual Power Lab to step
3: up your charging game. Thanks Nick. For more information, log on to www.revoelectrics. That's R E V O E L E C T R I X.com then click on the Revo USA store. talk about this week anyone have a
0: clue yes we are going to talk about a a topic that is near and dear to my heart at certain phases in my life and not in others
2: (laughs) (laughs) but something that
0: i am quite certain is near and dear to nick's every cell in his body and being maybe and that is organization hobby organization. How do you, and I want to cover all aspects of it. We'll see how this, this progresses, but uh, you know, how do you organize your, your workshop or your bench area? How do you organize your tools? How do you organize your models, your parts, your batteries? How do you organize your field setup? You know, you guys got trailers where everything kind of sits there statically and stays organized. But for most people like myself, we, we have to do the transition from what's in the garage or the heli room to what's coming with us to the field that day. Um, and then, you know, how, how do you organize what you're going to do? What are your tasks in the hobby? Nick's got to do the three blade heli. Then he's got to do the seven seventy and tune that. You know, what's the thought process? I, I think everyone does it differently. And I have found sometimes the most profound realizations of how to improve my organization come from a simple conversation with someone else where they're like, oh, yeah, you know, dude, I, I just, you know, I use um individual bins for my parts. And I'm like, holy shit, that like, that's it. That's what I needed. <laughs> yeah. Obvious Obviously, right? But you're not always thinking about it because you're setting your ways. You got your habits. So that's that's kind of what I want to poke at today. How do you organize your hobby? Nick, I want you to go first, dude, because not only do I know that organization in the hobby is key to you, but even like recently, organization in life has played a role in that. And I, I think it's kind of like, leaked back into the hobby
1: oh man it's uh, i have to i mean it's a necessity now and when it starts to crumble it crumbles bad and and that's how it's kind of i mean it crumbled bad the last two weeks it's been hectic i you know with the starting the battery review getting models ready i've had work hasn't been the greatest i've uh Shot a wedding, so I photographed a wedding in there i've so I've been dealing with that. my family took off on vacation. oh my god, I mean it's just been ridiculous, and i push i mean i push hard so organization it is just it's a necessity um you know some as far as models go, you know at the field if i if even if I take the trailer out of it back in the day, it was I wanted to take one storage bin assembly thing, you know, the big storage box or whatever. And my goal was to get as much as possible in that box. Um, y- You know, I needed, okay, have a set of skids for this heli, have a skid, set of skids for that one. Make sure and have ball links for both. And so I kind of had this like a little grab bag of easy crash parts, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, the typical stuff. Yeah. And I had to have certain tools and this and that, and I did that for a long time and I, you know, it it worked, but what's funny and, and maybe it's, you know, I used to be able to spend more time out at the field. So I think that might've been more important, but I swear, no matter how much I did that, I always had one thing that kept me from getting that heli back in the air. You know, I, I just very rarely <laughs> had a crash or a tip over that I magically just had those parts to fix it. So now, I mean, call it a little weird, but I've I opt for the more hellies and less parts. So rather than just say I'm going to bring these two to the field, and then you know make sure I have all my spare parts for those two or whatever. I just don't really worry about it, and I'll bring maybe three instead. And if one has a problem, just show it and fly. Because I used to spend too much time tinkering at the field. Yes. And it, mm-hmm. it, the nice part is that what you can do then is, you know, I use the little Rubbermaid containers. They're cheap. Get them at Walmart. You know, they're like two or three bucks a piece. Little clear plastic ones, about the ones a shoe that box. are like
0: what? They're, yeah, they're about a, shoe box. the size of yeah. a shoebox. Yep. They're yep. ten or twelve inches long, four or five inches tall, six or so inches wide.
1: Yep. And I have
0: yep. boy, let me tell
1: you, I got a lot of them, probably a dozen. And one's Velcro, one's wire. One, you know, I have two for my seven hundred comps. I have one for the. I've got one for the 380. And and I just, I mean, yeah. Spare electronics, this, that. Those are like the greatest thing ever for me, because Mm -hmm. I know that if I go to that bin and I don't have it in that bin, I just don't have
0: it. Yep. Everything that you can fit in there is in there. For that. For that deal. Like, yeah. if
1: I go there for servo wire and there's no servo wire, I'm flat ass out of servo wire. I don't have to go looking and say, well, did I leave a little 12-inch scrap in my, the in my field box? Yeah. But maybe I have two more. No. I just don't mess with that. So that's how I organize my bigger parts. My, you know, I do have a blade box and some blade holders for organizing blades. I don't think that's a problem with a lot of people. Um, The smaller stuff, so I go for the fish and tackle boxes. You know, they're maybe 12 inches long, six, seven inches tall, I would say, and I don't know, inch and a half deep, two, two inches deep maybe, somewhere around in there. I Again, I have one of those for every heli that i have
0: oh the ones with the little compartments that's right
1: so i have two of those for my 700 just because i keep more 700 parts on stock that's where all my pinions ball links balls uh, i mean servo arms all of the small stuff goes into there and why so that i can see it I flip open the lid. I look. There's no digging around with your pinky finger or something to try and find something. Yep. You know, to have all of those little components thrown in that that, mm-hmm. that Rubbermaid shoebox would suck.
2: Well, it's one layer deep. That's right. It's, it's one layer deep. You only deep. have one layer deep apart, so you can easily inventory and see what's in there. Yeah.
1: So that's – and that – going to that method of organization for my spares – Really changed everything because when it comes time for me to place an order, like I just placed an order, and uh, my my son came home today, and I was like, uh, he goes, oh, what are you doing, dad? I said, oh, I got my spare parts order, and he looked up and he's like, his jaw hit the floor. He goes, dad, you ordered seventy two items, <laughs> 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 and I am like, okay, yes, yeah, I did, but. <laughs> What was neat was that I just went down the list and I grabbed the bin. It was like, okay, I set my 570 Rubbermaid bin there and I set my 570 little parts tackle bin and I opened them up and I just looked at them and I said, okay, I don't have a main shaft check. I don't have a spindle shaft because it was important for me to stock up on 570 stuff for the review. Yep. And everything was right there easily, very easy to see skid certain number. Okay. I want this many skids. I need this many, this, and that level of organization has really, really changed uh, my maintaining flying as much as possible. You know, I have a, I have a thing for nitro, just nitro, a bin for nitro, all my fuel tubings in there, glow plugs, all that. So I know where those things are. So once I quit spreading it all out into, here's my small field kick. Here's my one hour field kit. And that's that's what I bring with me if I'm just going for one hour. Here's my all day field kit versus here. No, just make sure your models are up and good. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I understand that this is a little different if you only have one or two helicopter, but you know what? You'd be surprised. Even if you only have two helis, if you go out there and you have a problem with one and you just shelf it and focus on the other heli, you would be really surprised at how much stuff that you notice. You go, God, this thing doesn't quite fly as good as I thought that it did. And now all of a sudden you'll put a little bit more time into your helicopter and a little bit more time into your flying. Don't get so caught up in, man, if I can't fly that one. I don't even want to go. Stick time is stick time and make the most out of it when you're at the field. So yeah, that's
0: that's a key yeah, point. Exactly. I mean, like and and George, I know you're listening, dude, and I'm going to give you a hard time about it when we get to Othello in another month. I've been there too. The field is for flying, not for wrenching. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, I mean, you you've you've got the benefit nick of all that shit goes with you all the time. Yeah. Cuz it's in the trailer. Most people don't have that. I mean, I happen to have the same organization system as you, but I make it a point not to bring parts to the field because I'm yeah. there to fly.
1: And, and you know, if there something are goes wrong,
0: you know what? I know when I get home, I'm going to go straight to the bin for that particular helicopter and I'm going to see if I got the parts. And if I don't, I will order what I need.
1: Yep. An- yep. Another one for me. And this has revolutionized it. You guys have seen it. Jesse, I know you saw it firsthand. I was using it all day. My whiteboard. Boy, I got to tell you, that whiteboard for me, use the notes app in your phone. Use a piece of scratch paper. You can throw one of those little flip open tablet, paper tablets in your flight box or in your radio case or whatever and leave a pen in there. Oh, my gosh, taking notes makes a huge difference. I'm over there marking battery packs, uh, uh, cycle counts, because I'm flying. I'm cycling batteries. I'm discharging. I'm making notes. And, man, I'm a guy where I got a lot going on, and I chit-chat when I'm at the field, and I multitask horribly. So I get Mm -hmm. done with a flight, and it's like, okay, I want to go up two points on my tail speed, and I need to drop the tailgate. If I go back, and if I don't do it right then and there, which a lot of times I'm not going to stand on the flight line at the end of a flight because that's kind of rude when other people are wanting to fly. I just walk right in and make a quick note on the whiteboard. Do this. Yep. Then I can casually take my battery out, bullshit with the guys or whatever. And then what was I going to do? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, cool. There. Man. Yep. What a huge difference. Have a page for each helicopter and and use it for, you know, what do I need to work on? Hey, in my spare time, don't forget you're due to change your tailcase bearings. Have yep. those notes in there. Yep, yep. Talk about an efficiency difference. Wow, it's huge.
0: Yeah, I, use, I, I have a whiteboard for when I'm in my shop area but I find that I actually use my notes app on my phone a lot more. And, okay. and I actually have just like, so, and I, I won't go over all those details again, cause you pretty much nailed it in terms of like organization of parts, Nick. That's exactly how I do it. Bin for every helicopter for the notes. I do the same thing. I have a note on my phone for every helicopter. So you can go into my phone and you could click on, you know, TDR, oh, um, need to get new bearings, uh, new set of blades, uh, probably need to replace the bell crank in a little bit because it looks bent or whatever, or the parts list for the rebuild of the Diablo or a new helicopter like the TDR two kits on its way. Got an ESC. Don't have a motor and servos yet going, you know, going, and, going and buy motor and servos. And it yeah. it makes a big difference, dude, because I don't care what anyone says. Some people are better at it than others. But what multitasking really is, is doing a couple of things at the same time really shittily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In my case. In it. And, and, and I mean, getting serious here for a second. Multitasking almost killed me a couple of years ago, literally with the 770. The Mm -hmm. reason why it hit, it almost hit me was because I was talking to a buddy at the field. I was multitasking, wasn't paying attention, had a note on my phone about, or on actually I had it on the whiteboard because I marked down my batteries at times for the receiver packs, go and charge this receiver pack. This one is bad. It needs to be charged. This one's good. I installed the bad one. 3.7 per cell, 30 seconds in boom. So organization is important.
2: Mm -hmm. You got to stay focused on that shit. Just going to add one thing. So my parts organization, you know, pretty much the exact same thing. But one thing for me that I noticed is you kind of mentioned how um, you stopped bringing parts to the field, Nick. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, has actually helped and, you know, one of the things that I absolutely hate, and I know, Justin, you're in the exact same camp, is loading up all your crap to actually go to the field. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. Really trying to prioritize, okay, what do I actually need? And I, hence you know, the word need when I'm going to fly. And I try to pack light because I find that if it's quicker to load up the truck, I'm more likely to be motivated, be excited about going to the field because, um, you know, it's just quite frankly, less trips to the truck and I'm bringing less crap with me that I'm packing around all the time. So by really assessing, you know, how am I organizing my parts? What do I need to bring to the field? And you know, I'm, I'm in that exact same camp. If something's not flying right on a helicopter, no way in heck am I wrenching on it at the field. I'm just going to throw the blade holder back on, pop it back in the truck and fly the other one. And that works perfectly fine, even with only two helis. So Really take a look at what you do bring to the field because, you know, it could lighten the load and make it that much easier to get all your stuff packed in your vehicle.
1: Yeah, you've got to yep. get get past those misconceptions. I mean, yeah, if I, you know, if I was going to go down in Snohomish and I, I took the 770 and the 380 down there and I drove the 770 in on the first flight or, you know, had a tip over on an auto or something, I would be bummed. Don't get me wrong because I would want to fly it. But mm-hmm. You know, if you just throw it back in the truck or whatever, and you just focus, well, here's what I've got. I've got the 380 here. I'm going to make the most of it. And you know what? I've kind of been putting off maybe doing that fine tune on it that I knew that I wanted to. So now all of a sudden I, you know, continue. I, I have 10 flights on it that day. I get the thing completely dialed in. Now all of a sudden it's twice as fun as it was when I got there. And now yep. I'm digging that heli. It's not. It's not the you know the backup anymore, or, or only second is good. Yep. So,
2: oh, perfect know.
0: example. Last Sunday, dude, two flights. I went there saying, "I'm gonna get a couple of flights on the Goblin Speed, but I'm not too worried about it. I want to do some Nitro." Two flights in, elevator servo fails. Diagnosed it on the bench, which took about thirty seconds. It was that obvious, and said, "You know what?" That blows. Wasn't planning on it, but going back in the car, not going to mess with it. We're flying the Goblin Speed. And it turned out to be freaking amazing, even though that's not what I was planning. You you just got to put it aside. Agreed. So, you know, that, that brings us to another, I think, an important topic in terms of organization. We went over parts. Um, and, and I do want to get back to the home or the bench area, but since we're, we're talking about the field, how do you guys decide what you bring to the field? And in particular, I I want to focus on tools. What, what makes your must have tools list? And do you have multiple of them? Do you only have one set? I mean, how does that, how does that work?
2: I can go on this one. So, for me, this kind of goes back a little bit to: Am I planning on working at a? Am I planning on doing a major repair at the field? So, based on the previous conversation, no, I'm not going to completely tear down a heli and, you know, fix a major crash or fix anything at the field. So, I don't think the answer of bringing everything is appropriate. Um, I guess unless you're Nick and have it. 18 foot trailer then maybe everything is appropriate
1: but <laughs> well hey but i case. still keep in mind i still fly at work a lot
2: that's true okay, so you, you still point. have like the kind of portable yeah but but for me it, it's kind of whatever can fit in my flight box um so in my in the flight box you'll find you know full set of drivers i think that's kind of a given because how many times have i had it oh screw rattled loose on the nitro or the you know Collar on the main shaft or the electric came a little bit loose mm-hmm. and I had to snug that up. Or, you know, I think having a full set of drivers is almost a given, just because it doesn't need to be a major repair where those are going to come in in handy. I also have a set of pliers, so some needle nose, um, some side cutters, ball link pliers. Um, I think yeah, just three or four pairs of pliers, and then let's see, Exacto knife. Some sockets or some, uh, you know, for tightening down the nuts, spark plug uh, socket, and then let's see. I think tool wise, that's literally about it. Um, I was trying to go through my box. I mean, I guess you can count super glue and double stick tape as tools, but um, absolutely, really, I I pack pretty light. I would say, um. On the tool so then you know that that that's a box with, that goes with me basically every single time I go out to the field whether it's down the road to fly to the field for an hour or to the field for an entire day um, you know close that thing up and it comes with me so then when I'm at home kind of and I know we aren't really going into bench setup a whole lot right now but you know the bench that I have at home it has kind of two levels to it so on the floor there the bottom shelf, I can pop that field box open and it just can sit there open, fully accessible, and now I can access all of those tools right in the top. So, as far as drivers and pliers and that type of stuff go, I really do just have a single set. Um I mean, I got a bunch of busted broken ones that I, you know, have thrown <laughs> thrown in some drawers and stuff at home and various boxes and stuff that I have, but as far as what I'm using on a regular basis, it's uh it's one set that goes in the field box, and then like I mentioned, once I get home, prop that up and uh, wrenching in the garage, I'm pulling from basically those exact same tools with some extras, you know, that I'm keeping at home that I wouldn't require that I wouldn't say are required field tools.
0: So. Interesting. See, I would have bet that you had two sets of tools. I was completely wrong. Do not. Huh. That's, yeah. And, and I mean, that's, that's kind of a hot topic. I, uh, I think Nick and I, or maybe it was Dan, I don't know. I have two sets of tools. I think you do as, as well, Nick. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I have been criticized on more than one occasion by more than one listener for what in their mind has been, um, an excessive expenditure of money on the hobby. On something as simple as tools, you know, and well, you know, like, one, why why are you going to go and buy another hundred dollar set of scorpion drivers when you already got a set? And you know, I, I mean, I think you can you can argue it both ways, but what it comes down to is convenience. And for me personally, and I think it it, it is a it's a very personal thing. You talk Jesse about the whole. I'm going to call it a mental hurdle of getting to the field, right? The mm-hmm. more you perceive that you have to bring, whether it's a big deal or not, the the harder yep. it is to get yourself into that, you know, that frame yeah, of mind. Excited. Market, yeah. Right. And so to me, we, we all spend ridiculous amounts of money on this hobby anyway. I mean, it's it's stupid. So. For another fifty or hundred bucks, knowing that, hey, you know what? That little uh that crate or that box over there, I actually have what amounts to sort of a uh my my portable toolbox is a I guess it's like a pelican case that would fit maybe like a DSLR body, not necessarily with a a, a lens or anything in it. It's mm-hmm. pretty compact. And that is my field kit now admittedly i do sometimes break into that uh to do stuff at home because maybe like you were alluding to jesse you got some drivers that are worn like the 1.5 or the two millimeter and you got you 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 got a special driver that you really like you always want to use that one okay fine but for the most part that box sits on a shelf waiting to go to the field and I mean, call me crazy, but I've got two sets of 3M gray, double-sided. I got two rolls of electrical tape. I got two rolls of Kapton tape, you know, um, basically doubles of all of the critical items so that I just don't have to be inconvenienced. And maybe other people don't feel like that is a big inconvenience to them, but for me, it makes a big difference. Cause if every time I wanted to go to the field, I had to prep ahead of time to spend twenty minutes to get all the tools into the box and choose which ones I want, and then worry about did I remember the ones that I needed, it would make it far less fun for me. So, you know, that that having the organization at home and then also a separate organizing system for the field it's it's a big deal
1: i agree i mean yeah it would just not be (laughs) i I don't i do not miss those days of packing up a a field set up spending all that It seemed like i'd spend an hour getting everything all ready to go for the field for a day and then coming back home and putting it all back and being organized it's tough.
0: Yeah, it's painful. Keep it Absolutely. simple. Definitely keep it simple. So now I, I, I kind of want to uh, move on to the difference between a field day and fun flies. You guys do anything different? Does it make a difference if now instead of going 20 minutes down the street to your local field, mm-hmm. you're going to drive four or five hours to Othello? or to rchm
2: oh yeah okay (laughs) big time
0: nick how how do you do it
1: uninstall home kitchen sink bring kitchen sink (laughs) 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 i bring it it all everything
0: yeah so does organization go out the window and you just toss all the shit in a box
1: um no, like even before the trailer, because, okay, here's a here's a great example. And this was not that long ago uh, when we had our travel trailer, right? Yeah. I couldn't, I had everything in my small trailer. And I had to move everything that I wanted to take into the travel trailer, which made me just like every other Joe Schmo go into a fun fly. Oh, man, this is where the the mechanic in me it just suffers i mean it's painful for me because i have to bring everything uh, and that's why i do like the whole little rubber made bins i would just get a big huge cardboard box and bring them all <laughs> i mean seriously yeah i would i would just, just- in case now, rather than, well, I'm going to take, like, a six-inch piece of Velcro out of this because I probably won't need more than that. I'll grab about a foot of a servo uh-huh. wire. I'll grab three or four of these connectors. all. like, grab-
0: screw it. We're bringing the, enti- the we're mother load.
1: That's right. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. And I don't... I think it stinks for someone who has to go in, like, a small car. Like you, right? For you? Oh, I couldn't yeah. do it. I'd stroke out. I mean, there's no way. It, it would...
0: It just wouldn't happen. <laughs> I will tell you that it is a source of stress because, you know, you're, you're constantly conflicted between I want to travel light. I don't want to overdo it, but I also want to make sure just in case someone else doesn't have it. I've got what I need. And mm-hmm. last Othello, we saw that like last Othello. I really put a lot of effort into slimming down. And Dan's like, dude, Justin, I need your soldering setup. I didn't bring it with me, man. Yep. Sorry. I didn't think that I'd need it. And yeah, so that's it. And so then I feel like, well, damn it. You know what? You missed something. Even though it didn't even impact me. I didn't have to solder anything, but I couldn't help a friend. And that,
1: I think, is where communication amongst friends, if you have that option, Mm -hmm. is awesome. You know uh, what? Yes. Tag up Definitely. with the buddy, <laughs> and and you guys got it real good <laughs> because I always have been that guy.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, you guys change anything for fun fly? <laughs> <laughs> <You> yeah. So <asshole. laughs> I, I can't. Well, I don't understand and that why. really does take
0: organization <laughs> to the next level, and I I can appreciate that. There are listeners out there that fly alone, maybe haven't even been to a fun fly, and are like, screw you guys, but. Absolutely, Nick. Like that makes the biggest difference in the world. When we did our 2014 Urcha trip, we did just that. We're like, hey, there's no point in bringing four tool sets, right? And (laughs) four bins of parts for the helis that we all shared. So, hey, Nick, are you going to bring the soldering iron? Yeah, you got the soldering iron. All right. Dan's going to bring the adhesives and Jesse's going to bring the Dremel. And yeah. Out, and, and it works perfectly.
1: Yep. Agreed. Agreed. That's, that's, it's pretty much, it's, it really is like the best way to do it, yeah. but yeah. you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. I do. I, I'm not shy,
3: you know, but Hold also on, I,
1: don't, don't pack yourself miserable too. You know, don't make it to where it takes away from your fun fly experience. Um, because, you know, a lot of it is hanging out and having fun. And God, there's amazing people at flies Amazing people. And if you're, you know, if you're too shy to walk up and down the flight line, ask them, well, find the loudest person that you there. And ask them if they have the tool. And if not,
2: they'll go find it for you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> dude. There's all sorts yeah, so of sharing going it. on. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I want to point out, you had mentioned packing light and stuff. So what I have done for my funfly setup you know i I tend to err on the side of bringing too much as well just because you know funfly is a little bit different setting and if i do crash i am planning that hopefully i have the part and i'm going to be sitting there in the evening you know drinking some beers and wrenching on the helis till they're ready to go the next day so what i kind of do is almost permanently now is i have those three drawer kind of rubbermaid um Deals They're not really dressers, but you know, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Three, three feet tall. They have three drawers on the front. And so I will completely kind of, once the Funfly season gets going, convert one of those into basically a Funfly um, drawer system oh. where everything will go in there as I transition into Funfly. So as Othello's coming up, I'm actually getting ready to do this and I'll kind of go through my other bins and drawers and... Yeah, an organization does lack a little bit because I only have three drawers and I have a lot of stuff that I want to bring to the fun flies with me. That is normally part of my garage setup. You know, I'm not bringing out to the field every weekend, but I want it to come to a fun fly with me. So stuff like the soldering iron, stuff like the Dremel, extra connectors, why, you know, all that type of stuff will get packed into these drawers and really, once I do that for the first fun fly, that just stays my fun fly setup. So the next time, you know, when I'm going to Snohomish or to another fun fly, I can just grab that three drawer bin and that is my fun fly gear. So it's not like this. Oh, what am I going to pack this time? What am I going to bring it's this sort time? of a it's a once a season thing. It, exactly. And then you kind of get you through it change once out bits and pieces as you go. But because the or, the organization does drive me crazy because you only do have those three drawers so as soon as we're done with the last fun fly I kind of you know spread the stuff back out a little bit and get it back to what I would call its <laughs> its normal place but I don't want to be doing that in between every single fun fly so the last couple of years um I've found that that kind of just stays like it is um and you know I dig through it and and pull stuff out as I need to you know for wrenching at home but that is cut down a lot on the, oh, I forgot this. I didn't bring that. It's like you kind of pack it for the first one. Make any notes if you did forget anything. Adjust. Make sure you throw yep. that in right when you get home. But then you know you're good to go for the next one.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and and it's kind of nice, Jesse, because it, it actually sort of forces you to be organized and intentional about your packing because you only got three drawers. Yep. You're not going to fit guys, everything in there. You need to think through every item that you put yep. in that.
2: Yep. And I'm not talking, I I don't put parts in that. That's basically all tools, accessories, right. Um, right. stuff like that. And then you guys have probably even seen this at the fun flies. Um, you know, I'll get the 10 by 10 pop up, set it up off the back of the motorhome, set up the pop up table, and then I will actually bring that three bin, their three drawer deal and set it right next to my table. And it comes out in the morning and goes back in the motorhome at yep. night. And that's just kind of like my little bench setup at the field. That's a
1: really good point because I, I forgot about that, and I've done that. That's what I did. I mean, that's absolutely what I did. Took that three drawer thing and just packed it full. Threw a little bit of packing tape on it before we left, so all the drawers didn't fly out exactly. And man, that made stuff nice. I mean, oh, nice. And and that has a lot to do with my. My, my health and happiness at a fun fly being able. To, I don't do clutter. I don't like clutter. It stresses me out. It kind of freaks me out. And if if I can stay organized on my table and Justin keeps all his crap off my table.
0: <laughs> oh, I I knew that was going to come up in this conversation. As it should. Yeah. As it should.
1: Then uh, life's pretty good for me if I can do it like that. So,
2: yeah, uh, it works. Sweet.
0: All right. Well, so I think the, the only other thing I wanted to see what you guys thought about was home organization. And, and I'm, I want to be pretty specific about this. Uh, you know, there, there are various aspects to the hobby. There's the, you know, the, the building and the rebuilding and the wrenching. I'll characterize that as kind of the mechanical aspects of it. You're turning screws, you're, you know, checking gear mesh, that sort of a thing. And then there's the programming side of it where you got to do, you know, a swashplate setup, fly barless system, whatever. And then there's the purely electrical, we're soldering connectors, we're, you know, we're charging, we're checking voltages, that sort of a thing. Do you guys have a system at home where those activities are separated? Do they all occur in the same location on the bench? And you're just very good about, you know, completing one task, cleaning it up, and then moving to the next. How how do you deal with that?
1: Jesse, why don't you talk? Because you've got the recent garage thing going on. So you've kind of had yeah, so, a chance to do it fresh from scratch.
2: Yeah. So with the, you know, the recent setup and kind of what I went through a year ago with my garage was trying to, <laughs> I, I kind of took the approach of get as much bench space as I possibly can. <laughs> And claim as much of the garage as I can, I should say. Um, So the bench that I got, I actually took an old solid wood door, just flat. There's no features to the door, just completely solid. Put it on its side, put some 4 by 4 posts underneath it, built in a bottom shelf. So I got this 36-inch by about 7-foot main bench, and then I keep a little side table um, off to the side of that, which is about, you know, 30 inches by another four feet. So I'm almost 11 feet of bench um, in my garage. So that gives me a lot of options for setting up kind of you know, a little station to do that, a little station to do this. Now, on the flip side, only having, you know, right now my fleet is pretty small, only have two helicopters that doesn't leave a lot of hanging or lingering projects because, I'm going to get those things turned around pretty quick because I'm either looking, you know, ready to fly the next weekend. It's a quick rebuild after a crash. I'm going through a setup because I installed some new components. Um, So for the most part, I would say stuff happens on the main bench, which is the one I made out of the door. Um, And it does take place mostly in the same spot. um, Just because I'm turning that stuff over so quickly, I haven't really found a huge need to where, Oh, I'm completely tearing this helicopter down to the right down to nothing. There's not and it's going to take me time. 2 weeks to get through it and I got to keep all the parts organized so I can't use this half of the bench for this helicopter because I got to keep all the parts organized for, you know, helicopter X. Um, now as far as like charging at home and that kind of stuff, that's where the little side table comes in. I do charging, soldering, um, that type of stuff all does fit nicely over there. And that kind of allows me to just keep the charging case flipped open most of the time on that section of the bench, just because I don't really need it for anything else and keep a little soldering station set up, just and in, in utilize that little side bench for those tasks uh, specifically. But you no, know, as far as all the major repairs, all the major programming, um, you know, even the builds, it's all done um, pretty much on that one bench. Now, with being seven feet, feet long and pretty deep. I've definitely have had both helicopters um you know wrenching on both helis on there at the same time. It is workable. So um but yeah, for the most part one location. True. I'm a
1: big advocate of
2: pegboard.
0: Oh, yes.
2: That's a
1: big I was going to
2: bring that up if someone else
0: didn't. That yep. has revolutionized my home organization system.
1: Pegboard is just it's awesome if you can do it. I mean, I understand it's not feasible for a lot of people. Maybe, you know, you're renting a place and you can't go popping big holes in the wall, but do it anyway. <laughs> Dude. It's, it's worth it. I mean, there are so many different pegboard hangers out there. You know, the cordless drill, there's ones for cordless drills and drivers and, and, pliers and and that to me that that falls back into my organization thing everything has to have a home every single thing has to have a home for me and if it has a home then i know when it's not there i know when to look for it and it also helps me pack it helps me get prepared because i can clearly see stuff And it gets all of those things up off the bench. I mean, even to the point, there's some pegboard options out there that have little, like, shelf holders. Yep. So you can add a little four-inch deep shelf on your pegboard. Well, guess what? I have one. Why don't you take that? And, boy, let me tell you, this is where 3M tape comes in wonders. Why don't you take that, maybe your soldering station, and put that up on a little shelf six or seven inches up off the bench. Well, now you regained a little bit of bench space back so you can tuck a little bin underneath it or something like that. Um, it allows you to have something up towards the top of the pegboard, get one of those uh, really long, uh, long pegboard, you know, the straight arms or whatever, and and maybe you aren't in a spot where you can easily... Uh, you know, or maybe you don't have a light over your bench, hang a shop light right there. Hang Hmm. a basic, you can go down to Lowe's or any hardware store and get those utility lights with the soft clamp on the back. I mean, it's that simple. Put one of those long board things out, clip that light over it. Now you have a light directly over your workbench that you, you know, run the extension cord down the side just stuff like that it's with the amount of attachments out there for for them and being able to free up if you have a small bench area you know getting your tools and your stuff up off the bench and on the wall it's huge and i think it does really make a big difference
0: it's it it's a big deal i mean i am and and i'm so okay i'm going to try to say this without getting you guys to laugh because i know i have had phases where I'm not always as organized as you would expect. But fundamentally, at my core, I am the same as you, Nick, regarding if something doesn't have a place, like it gets to the point where it's actually kind of, it makes me nervous. Like if it doesn't have a place and I can't categorize it, I think I'd rather either hide it so it's out of sight, out of mind, or just throw it away. And, and I mean, to a, to the point where it's a flaw and I've got to check myself on that. The pegboard makes a big difference because it gives me the ability to organize all of my major tools and accessories right there out in front of me where I can see it still have a lot of bench space to do stuff on. So, I mean, we've talked about this before, uh, when we moved into the house, the deal was that I was going to get the garage for the helis. And so that's the situation. And I put in basically a 10 foot by uh 30 inch. It It is a, like a melamine uh, countertop mm-hmm. with a main sort of three drawer uh, thing in the middle that separates it into two five foot sections and then two cabinets, one on either side. And then I put two, Uh, I hung two cabinets on the wall directly above it. And what that helps me do is segregate things. So up until recently, and I'll talk about what the change was, the left five feet of it was the mechanical area. The right five feet was the electrical area. And so all of my soldering, all of my connectors, my resistors, my wire, all of that, was on the right hand side. The the uh, cabinets on that side were associated with that stuff, and the hanging cabinet on the wall was also all electrical stuff: zip ties, you know, heavier gauge wires, spools, that kind of thing. Right hand side, the mechanical side, the ground cabinet was all, uh, you know, uh, scrap material, carbon fiber rods, tubes, aluminum g10 foam that kind of thing and then directly above it was the chemicals area it is uh, you know adhesives ca epoxy solvents that kind of thing it's very very organized and compartmentalized now i still have that and i'm still using it to that same effect but what i ran into was the issue where and jesse i mean i i'm gonna guess you have a similar issue because You said your wooden door is only about three feet deep. Yep. My, my bench is up against the back wall of the garage. And so, I I mean, lengthwise, I can set a full 700 or 800 size heli out there, not bump into anything, but it's hard to move around because the wall's there. Right. So, okay. Now I got to, I got to flip it around and do the right side frame. So now I got to pick it up walk back, spin it. Hopefully I don't knock shit off the bench with the tail or the blades and then set it back down. So what I've been meaning to do for years now is build a rolling table. And I finally got around to doing that in the last couple of weeks. I built a six foot by three foot or three. Actually, I think it's closer to three and a half foot rolling table with casters on it that you can lock so it stays in position or you can unlock and they roll and it has, uh, uh, below it on probably about a foot and a half or two off the ground, uh, with about two and a half feet of space, a set of shelves. So now I can put mm. stuff on the shelves in the middle. I can put stuff underneath the shelves on the ground like helis. If I want to, or toolboxes, supplies, and then yep. what I did was just like you were talking about, Nick. Those those kind of kind of like uh, shop lights, mm-hmm. where it's a it's a rubber clamp. Yeah, I bought four of those. I have above the garage door storage racks. They're like the metal things that you bolt into the ceiling, mm. and so I use those to put the the lights on. The rolling table is somewhat, you know, generally in the middle of the garage. And then I ran a 50-foot extension cable from one of the sockets on the sidewall across one of the storage racks on the ceiling and dropped a loop of wire down to this rolling table with enough slack that I can basically drop the locks on the wheels and roll this thing around and the power comes with me. Yeah, And that is my new heli bench because now I'm in the middle of the room. I can move a seven or 800 heli around. I'm not knocking stuff over. I've got shelves. I've got power. I mean, it has revolutionized my experience. It's, it's a big deal. So I'm happy about that. And then I also did to organize at the field. I put in, you guys saw last weekend, a little rack system in the back of the Scion that I can strap helis to up above the sort of the, you know, the cargo area so that I've got room yep. to put stuff underneath. And that, you know, that goes back to what you were saying, Jesse, In term, it's a simple organizational tool, but it makes me less stressed about getting ready for the field. Because no longer is it a jigsaw puzzle anymore where it's like, oh, let's see what Tetris game I can play this time to fit all the shit in the back of the car. Three, four helis strapped to the top. All the other stuff goes underneath. Done. Ready to go. Yep. Cool,
1: man. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we're about time. We are. I hope you guys get home and get organized. It really will make your life a lot easier.
0: And please share with us any ideas or things that you guys do. Heck yeah. Like I started this. Oh yeah. A lot of these ideas came from a simple conversation and it was like a freaking Eureka moment.
1: Yep. That's right. All right. Cool. So let's see. We still got some apparel in the store. I know there have been some people, hey, when do you guys restock? We're working on it. We're doing what we can. We got to let, let some stuff get settled in first. Uh, we're still kind of recovering from the whole website deal, but we will as soon as we can. Don't forget to send your events in to get put on the calendar. You can send those to Ken at com, and he will get those put up in there. Uh, what else? What else am I missing?: I got a
0: quiz for one of you guys. OK? When mm-hmm. is the RCHN4 funfly?
1: You always tell us. What is it? Two
2: weeks after Labor Day. September 15th? You got it. Yeah. 15th right through the there. 18th. There we go. Nice. Uh, the
0: sanction is officially approved by the AMA. Woohoo. Yep. Nice. We have our supplemental insurance policy on the land that has been underwritten. Nice. So it is like officially, officially official. And and actually, you know what? That just reminded me, probably in the next week or two, I got to set up pre-registration on RC Flight Deck. That's right. We'll keep you posted on that. That'll be coming up. uh, We'll
1: get the banner up that you guys can have and share around. And please share that. uh, When you see that RCHM4 banner come up, share that as much as you can. We want to make this, for those that were there last year, you know how freaking awesome it was. Uh, For those that heard about it, you darn well better get there this year because we're just going (laughs) to. Keep making it more fun. Notice I didn't say bigger or whatever. Just more fun. fun. And if if that makes yep. it end up getting bigger, then great. But the key is fun, getting people involved, uh, and having a good time. And we've, uh, I, I, if I do say so, we've hit it out of the park so far. Yep.
0: You're, You're so modest, Nick. Not you know when it comes to this fun fly. I'm with you, dude. It's one thing to be arrogant about because I, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's Sorry. been,
1: it's just, it's my favorite event of the year. And it's just not because we, we put it on. Yeah. It really is. I have the most laughs. I have the most fun and I get to interact with the most people.
0: Because for the record, it's yeah. a shit load of work. Oh, it's ridiculous. But oh, it geez. is so worth it. It, it is. really is.
1: So if you guys have any question uh, questions about the fun fly, accommodations or anything like that, we will have, um, like last year, Justin,
0: we did a webpage for it, right? Yep. We'll have a new webpage up soon. We'll With have directions. the RC flight deck. We'll have a Facebook mm-hmm. event. And then, of course, if you can't find any of those or it doesn't give you the info you need, shoot one of us an email.
1: And you know another great yep. idea? Any questions that you have... We have a lot of uh, local pilots and people that attended that are members on heli freak, but yeah. a post up at, in the heli freak forum, be just like, Hey, traveling in want to know about this. These guys are awesome in there. They'll totally get you taken care of. I know that, um, which is another thing that I should also mention, you know, we're coming into our, our spring season here. We have a lot of stuff going on just, obviously with, we're going to be flying more, but, uh, more family stuff. So guys, I know that I can speak for myself and probably everyone here. We're all starting Mm -hmm. to lack on the messages and the emails and the response. Just know that if we don't get to it, it's don't, please don't take it personally. We're trying to find a balance for us. And in order for us to come back, week after week and be excited and absolutely love every second of what we do. Um, We do have to balance a little bit of apparently real life does come into play. (laughs) Um, I know. Damn. Believe me. If there was a way that we could all figure out where we didn't have to work and we could just do this, it would be totally different. So uh, just a personal note from me. And like I said, I'm sure I can speak for everyone else. If you don't see one back, please don't take it personal. But, you know, throw throw a thread up on Heli Freak and, um, you know, everyone will do the best they can to help. And and we still, we see them. It's just, and it's hard because you see the messages come in. You're like, ah, I want to, but there's just so much going on. You got to maintain a good balance.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. And I, I will add to that, not only emphasize that if you don't hear back from us, it's not personal it's because there are 38 other emails ahead of you, (laughs) and we tend to try to answer them in the order that they were received. Yeah. Um, Just like a call center. Uh, Like a call center. But (laughs) I will say that the the little hint or the cheat code is, for me personally, and I I will not speak for you guys because I don't know if you agree, the ideal method to get a hold of me and get a quick response is Facebook Messenger. I know not everyone's on Facebook, and I respect that, um, but for those who are that do want to get in contact, it is rare that I let one of those messages go longer than half a day or a day, and I get them frequently. The emails are a lot. More no. challenging to reply to. Yeah, emails they are really definitely
1: are. the toughest. I would because, say. I mean, I, yeah. I
0: can get a wall of text, and I don't want to shoot off a three line answer. That's disrespectful. I want to sit there and think through and answer all the items. Whereas, yeah. I, I mean, functionally, Facebook Messenger can't really do a wall of text, and it. You know, yeah, I guess you could. But most people do it in phrases, small bits and pieces. That's, That's another, a little, a lot easier.
1: That's another big, big tidbit right there. We've got a couple yep. of them. I'm sorry. I am just not going to have the time. I can't, I mean, dude, I'd have to grab a cup of coffee and go out on the porch and, and take an evening to read some of these. And I love them. I'm, I'm glad, but it's just, I don't, we, we try not to give these half-assed replies and it just makes it tough. So, you know. Those who know, there are there are regular people that I contact with that they got it dialed, man. It's it's short, quick questions <laughs> or short comments, and we get right to the point and, and and you'll you'll get a lot lot more response. But Prompt um, response. Yeah. So I'll be for me personally, probably my Nick RCHN Facebook page, send me a message through there. I've got a couple of them through my personal Facebook page. I do not do anything through Heli's there. If I do not know you personally uh, and interact with you outside of the hobby, then I don't I don't friend request people there myself just to keep my family in sanity. <laughs> cool. Yep. Well, let's do some emails. Justin, if I wanted to get a hold of you, how would I do that?
0: You could send me an email to Justin at com
2: or catch me on Facebook or the forums as Justin Pucci. Jesse. You could send me an email to jesse at rchellynation.com or catch me on Facebook as well.
1: Awesome. And if you wanted to get a hold of Dan, you could send him an email at dan at rchelionation.com or uh, Dan K. Reed on Helly Freak. If you want to get in touch with me, you could send me an email at Nick at RChelynation.com or as we discussed, probably the best way is on my Nick Len RCHN Facebook page through the messenger there. If you have uh, any events or question about apparel or citizen membership, send Ken an email at Ken at RChelynation.com. Yeah. well, that's another. Anyone want to take us
0: out? I will take us out. Awesome. This has been episode number 228. We sure hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. And we will see you next week.
1: You're going to be in the hobby. You
0: got to be in. (laughs)
3: Later, guys. This has been a production of RC Heli Nation LLC and is brought to you by Soko Heli Tools, Progressive RC, Rev Electrics USA, Lower Heli, BK Servos, Spartan Flybarless Systems and Superiority. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions, please feel free to send us an email.